today's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading will be from Matthew 27, verses 20 through 23. Matthew 27, verses 20 through 23. I'll be reading ESV, and I believe it's page 834 in the Pew Bibles. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for, for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. We've got a number of visitors with us this morning and we're really glad that you have come to worship God with us. Thank you so much for your presence. We hope that you'll be able to come back and visit with us again in the near future. If we have any questions or you have any questions, uh, please let us know and we'd be happy to visit with you and talk about who we are, why we're doing, what we're doing, and we wanna give Bible answers to questions that you might ask. We wanna be able to open up scripture and show you from God's word, this is who we are and this is who God expects for us to be. Thank you so much for your attendance this morning. The trial of Jesus Christ represents the greatest injustice that the world has ever experienced. He is the only innocent man perfectly innocent that has ever lived and yet the world put him to death. Open your Bibles if you would to Matthew chapter 27 and we're going to be noticing this morning verses 11 through 26. Matthew chapter 27 verses 11 through 26. You can just leave that passage open in your Bible this morning. Our lessons coming from this text. Every single one of us is faced repeatedly with moral choices. Choices of right versus wrong, good versus evil. And there's a rule of thumb that is good to keep in mind. What is right is rarely easy. And what is easy is rarely right. When it comes to moral choices, good versus evil, what is right is rarely easy. Sometimes it is, but rarely so. And what is easy is rarely right. And what you find in Matthew 27 verses 11 through 26 is everybody trying to do what's best for them what's in what they think is their best interest. And the only person in this passage that's interested in doing what's right is Jesus. The only person in this passage that's interested in finally at the end of this trial, having a right result is the Lord. The trial of Jesus, Jesus before Pilate especially. If you look at it, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 11, let's read what happened. So this will be in our minds as we talk this morning. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 11. If you're looking with me, let's read. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? 
But Jesus answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed Jesus over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Then the governor, excuse me, so that they destroyed Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, verse 21, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered and said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What are we supposed to glean from this passage? I would suggest to you this morning that this is a confounding passage. There is depth and perplexity here. And the reason is because lawless, sinful people are putting Jesus to death. And yet at the same time, this is the ultimate will of God. This is what God wanted to happen. Not that the sin is ever okay and not that the choices these people are making are pleasing to God. They are not. These people are condemned for their choices. And yet the Bible calls what's happening here the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God being accomplished. Acts chapter two, verse 23. So God's using the sinful choices of these wicked people to bring about the salvation of the world. Talk about perplexing, confounding. Not only that, but this passage is amazing. Notice that the people cry out for crucifixion. You find it in verse 22, you find it in verse 23, and in verse 26, Pilate delivers Jesus finally to be crucified. That was not the ordinary way that people were to be put to death under the law of Moses. As a matter of fact, the law of Moses had nothing to say about crucifixion. It said, if there is someone who is guilty of blasphemy or any of a litany of other uh, heinous crimes, he should be stoned to death. And in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus even came to this world, God inspired David to write in very accurate and explicit detail about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And now here we are on the day when Jesus is on trial and instead of crying out for him to be stoned or, or, or executed in some other way, the crowd is crying, crucify him. It was God's plan all along. This passage is also demonstrative and you want, know what it demonstrates? Jesus is innocent. 
This is an innocence type of passage. It's showing you that there is nothing they have that will stick to Jesus. None of the accusations that are made, none of the, none of the claims that are being offered, even the voice of the multitude. Pilate is just forced to ask, what evil has he done? It's showing you the innocence of Jesus. And if you stop and think about it, really, it's the world that's on trial here. Jesus is about to be put to death, but it's the world that's on trial. It is as if this passage is saying, we're the guilty ones and he's innocent. We're the sinful ones and he's righteous. We're the corrupt ones and he is infinitely pure. It was the blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and blemish that redeemed us from our sins. First Peter chapter one, verse 19. This passage demonstrates his innocence, and it's a challenging passage. Pilate asks this question in Matthew 27, verse 22, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You have to answer that question as well. Pilate's not the only one that ever had to deal with that particular question. Every single one of us needs to think about the answer, what shall I do? with Jesus who is called the Christ. And I'm telling you this morning, what is right is rarely easy, but what is easy is rarely right. Let's look at this passage in some detail and think about what happens to the Lord. In the first place, notice the accusations of the Jews. The accusations of the Jews, as you look at verse 11 and 12, they bring Jesus before and the Bible calls him the governor. As a matter of fact, it calls him the governor four times. His name was Pilate, but his role, his office was to be a governor. And so in verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 27, you've got chief priests and elders, the highest ranking officials in Israel, and you've got the governor, the highest ranking Roman official. If there was ever a court case that went to the Supreme Court in Jesus day, this was it. And so as he is standing before this austere group of individuals, all they can do is make accusation after accusation after accusation against Jesus who has done nothing wrong. And notice if you would, it says in Matthew 27 verses 11 and 12 that they continued accusing him over and over and over again. It's interesting as you look at the trial of Jesus that the accusations changed over time. No two people could agree on what Jesus had done when he was standing just before the Israel, uh, the, the, the leaders of Israel. And now that they bring him before Pilate, they finally decided that he was a blasphemer and the high priest had torn his clothes and said, you've heard the blasphemy, you know he blasphemed God, let's put him to death, let's, let's execute him. But you can't bring this man before Pilate, the Roman governor, and find any reason to execute him. Well, he blasphemed our God. Pilate's gonna say, I blaspheme your God all the time. What's the problem here? This is not a capital crime. So they had to think of something else. In Luke 23 verse two, Luke explains to us that when they brought Jesus before Pilate the governor, here's what they said. They said, we found this man misleading our nation. Fake news. He's misleading our nation. He's a liar. He's deceiving people. And not just that. Secondly, he is forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That is absolutely as untrue as it could be. Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They asked him in Matthew 22. And he said, give me a coin. 
Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's. That was the way he taught people to deal with paying tribute to Caesar. And then thirdly, they said, he himself is saying that he is Christ. That's a Hebrew word, the anointed one. He's Christ and so by way of explanation, they tell Pilate, he also, if he says he's Christ, that means in, in our understanding of Christ that he is a king. Because we've read passages like Psalm chapter two that talk about how the anointed of God is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And so when he says he's Christ, Pilate, you need to understand he is saying that he is a king. That's where Pilate's question comes from in verse 11. Are you the king of the Jews? This was what they tried to accuse Jesus of being. Pilate can't find anything wrong here. And it's interesting that just to add strength to their argument, they give an argument from their own credibility. In John 18, verse 30, they say to Pilate, if this man were not an evildoer, if he wasn't doing things that were, that were wrong in violation of the law, we would not have brought him to you in the first place. Trust us, Pilate. Trust us. Just, just put him to death. This is what we want. This is our desire. And so Pilate finds that as he wakes up this particular day, here comes this man with all these accusations coming toward him. How is this going to be handled? Secondly, the attitude of the Savior. I want you to look again at the passage we read, and I want you to notice in two places, in verse 12 and in verse 14, the Bible says Jesus gave no answer. As a matter of fact, in verse 14, it's emphatic. He answered him not one word. Emphatic. So these people are all standing around saying things that are untrue about Jesus. They're calling him a deceiver. They're saying he's forbidding people to pay taxes. They're saying that he, he wants to be the king in the sense of he's going to supplant somebody like Caesar. That's what they're accusing him of. And instead of, and Jesus could have done this, instead of defending himself, instead of saying, wait a minute, let me just set the record straight. Let me just tell you what I really did teach about paying taxes. Let me just tell you what I really do believe about what it means to be the king, the Christ, the anointed of God. Let me teach you some more. Jesus could have done all that, but Jesus chose to remain silent. What's right is rarely easy. And you might ask the question, well, why? You know, especially today, when people are really up in arms about all kinds of moral right and wrong types of issues, why would Jesus decide in this particular instance when his life is on the line, why would he decide to be silent? I'll give you some reasons why. In the first place, it's a matter of prophecy. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah, the servant of God, the one who's gonna bear our sins and iniquities, he is going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he would open not his mouth. Isaiah 53 verse seven. What's this humble, meek, suffering servant of God going to do as he saves us? He's gonna be silent. 
Jesus knew that passage was about him and I wonder how many times as he had read and thought about Isaiah over the years, I wonder how many times he had mentally prepared himself for the fact that when it comes down to it, my role, my purpose by way of prophecy is to remain silent in that hour. It's also a matter of character. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, Matthew 5, verse 5. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls if you come to me, Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Jesus was the meekest person who ever lived. And meekness, sometimes described as power under control, meekness is when we let God have the last word. Are you listening to me? Meekness is letting God have the last word. Jesus had said everything that needed to be said. He had taught his doctrine, his truth that came from his heavenly father. He had shared without reservation what God wanted people to do. And talking more was not going to solve anything at this particular moment. It was a matter of character. Peter put it this way. Peter said when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return, but rather committed himself to God who judges righteously. First Peter 2, verses 22 and 23. He is meek. It's also a matter of love. Why did Jesus remain silent? Why would he refuse to answer the critics and the accusations that were coming toward him? Because he loves you so. Because he cares for you. And because by saving himself, he could not save you. Think about that. If Jesus does what's easy, he can't save you. If he does what's right, it's going to be the hardest thing he's ever had to do. To demonstrate love and compassion for humanity, for you and for me. God manifests his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. Father, let this cup pass from me, he had prayed. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. What's right is rarely easy. The idea that Pilate had, Pilate was a politician. Not only was he a governor, but he was a politician. And Pilate, you know, politicians, they want to make people happy. They, they always have their finger in the wind to see which way the wind is blowing. And Pilate wanted to make everybody happy on this occasion. But Pilate also had some kind of sense of justice. He marveled greatly that Jesus wouldn't answer any of his accusations that were, that were being thrown against him. And so Pilate, he had a dilemma. I don't find any fault in Jesus. And by the way, Pilate had already tried a number of ways. He tried to reason with the Jews. He tried to send Jesus to Herod. Maybe this is a jurisdictional thing. Herod mocked Jesus, sent him back to Pilate. And again, this, this, this man, this innocent person, as far as I can tell, there's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing that he's done. And so Pilate is faced with this dilemma. I can do what's right, I can do what's just, I can do what's fair, and I can release Jesus because I can find no fault in him. Or I can do what's popular. That's Pilate's dilemma. So Pilate thinks about this for a moment and he thinks, okay, I've got another way out of this. There was a tradition, a custom at the feast where Pilate would traditionally one day a year grant amnesty to a criminal. 
And this was a really popular thing, it gained goodwill with the people. And so Pilate went through his Rolodex in his mind to think about who is the most notorious prisoner that we can possibly think of? Who's the worst criminal in Jerusalem right now today? And if you notice, the Bible says that his name is Barabbas in verse 16, and it calls him a notorious prisoner. In other words, this is not some unknown person. Everybody knows who Barabbas is. Everybody knows what Barabbas has done. He's notorious. He is, John 18, 40 tells us, a robber. He's a thief. And not only is he a thief, a robber, but he is a murderer and an insurrectionist. Mark chapter 15, verse 7. People did not like Barabbas. He is not the kind of person you want to release from prison. He's not the kind of person that you want out on the streets. Barabbas has proved by his character and by his life that he is not interested in doing good and he's not interested in blessing the people around him. This is a criminal par excellence. This is somebody that we don't want to release. And so Pilate gets it in his mind, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna offer Barabbas instead of Jesus. And the people are gonna be forced because I don't know what Jesus has really done that's made these people so irate, but if I can, if I can set Barabbas up and Jesus side by side, I mean, there's no comparison. As we like to say, it's a no-brainer. And so, he asked the crowd, whom do you want me to release to you? Which one of these two prisoners do you want? Here's the custom. I'm, I'm happy to oblige. Here's your, here's your choice. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna substitute Barabbas for anybody else that might be a lesser criminal. Choose Jesus, choose Barabbas. And imagine Pilate's shock and imagine his surprise when the chief priests and the elders stirred up the crowd and the crowd started to say, we want Barabbas released. Release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. But Pilate, again, his plan has been foiled. And I want you to know what Pilate's doing all through this. Pilate is trying to find the easy way out. He's trying to let somebody somewhere make this decision for him. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? He doesn't wanna answer that question. He wants somebody else to do that for him. There have been many times in my life where things were not ideal. Maybe I was in a conflict with somebody or I was in a difficult situation. And I oftentimes, because I'm human, I know you do this too, I oftentimes think, okay, I want somebody else to make this decision for me. People have been pushing and pushing and pushing and you know what, if they come and push just one more time, well, that's gonna be my confirmation, the decision's made. And it's interesting that in my experience at least, that last push never comes. In my experience at least, yeah, things are not ideal and things are not great, but that last push never comes. It's gotta be my choice. You gotta do something different, John. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta extricate yourself from this situation. That last push never comes and that's the way it is with Pilate. He's waiting, you know? Somebody push me in the right direction. Tell me that you want Jesus. No, we want Barabbas. That's who we want. The right thing is rarely easy, and the easy thing is rarely right. Notice next the demand of the crowd. The crowd says, without equivocation, let him be crucified. We want Jesus put to death. We want him to hang on a cross for as long as it takes until his life expires. 
This was one of the most cruel instruments of torture and execution that has ever been devised. That's what we want for Jesus. And I want you to just stop for a moment and think about what we read about Jesus in the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is one that the Bible says went around doing good. Acts 10, 38, he was a do-gooder. That was all he ever did. When he met sick people, he healed them. When he met blind people, he caused them to see. When he met people who were dead, sometimes he would raise them from the dead. Jesus would still the storm so that his fearful disciples could be at peace. Jesus fed thousands with just a few loaves and fishes. Jesus went about doing good and teaching God's word to everyone who would listen. That's all he had ever done. He had never tried to undermine somebody else or he had never gone about trying to do some shady backroom deals. There was nothing, if you looked at his public life, if you looked at his private life, there was nothing worthy of execution, of death, of even a, even a reprimand, nothing that he had done. And here is the crowd, the fickle crowd, listening to their elders. The elders and the chief priests of Israel used their authority in a sinful way to stir up the crowd. And the crowd said, well, the elders must have a reason why they're saying these things, so let him be crucified. This is what we want. And Pilate asks the question in verse 22, why? What evil has he done? What has this man done to cause you to be so angry and upset with him? One of the lessons we learn as we think about the fact that what's right is rarely easy and what's easy is rarely right. When we're part of a mob, doesn't matter what the mob is all about, when we're part of a mob, we're probably doing the wrong thing, probably. Exodus 23 verse two, do not follow a multitude to do evil. If we're going to think about what's right, if we're going to think about what's just, if we're going to think about what God desires, for us to be and us to do in, in order to honor him, what's right is rarely easy. What evil has he done? What's he done that's, that's wrong? You know, Pilate had all the evidence he needed, by the way. I find no fault in him, he had said. What evil has he done here in verse 22? Pilate's wife had spoken to him in verse 19. Pilate's wife sent word, I've, I've had a dream about that man, don't have anything to do with him. And there's a lot of speculation, was Pilate's wife you know, did she receive that dream from God? Was that a miraculous thing? Or was it just the fact that she had heard of Jesus and this was troubling her? The Bible doesn't answer that question. Either way, Pilate's wife is giving him some good advice. Let that man go free, he's just. And in verse 18, Pilate even knew the motives of his accusers. He knew that they were envious of Jesus and that's why they had delivered him up. He knew what this was all about. Pilate could read people, he knew why they had delivered Jesus to him. What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. This man who does good, this man who blesses everybody he comes into contact with, crucify him. That's the demand of the crowd. Don't ever be guilty of mindlessly following a crowd. Think about God's will, think about what's right. Think about what God would have us to do in a given situation. The acquiescence of Pilate, finally. Acquiescence. The Bible says that Pilate finally, in frustration, he's waiting for somebody to give him the push. He's waiting for somebody to make this decision. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? 
Pilate finally decides to take a bowl of water. And this is a symbolic thing. And some people think that, that, that Pilate, you know, he was very close to the temple complex when he did this. And this is the way the priests, when they went to serve in the temple on a daily basis, they would wash themselves in a ceremonial way so that they would be innocent, so that they would be pure. And some people think that what Pilate's doing here is he's kind of appropriating that custom for himself. So he brings the bowl of water and he washes his hands in front of the people so that everybody can see. And then he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. I don't want any part of this, even though he still has to do something. And so this symbolic washing of hands and the people cry out and it's ironic, his blood be upon us and upon our children. It's ironic in a couple of ways. When you get over to Acts chapter five, you know what the Sanhedrin says in Acts chapter five? They say, why are you trying to bring this man's blood upon us by the, by the gospel you're preaching? Why are you trying to do this? It's also ironic because unless this man's blood is upon us and our children, we're never gonna find salvation. But that's what they say to Pilate. And then Pilate acquiesces and he delivers Jesus up first to be scourged. That was an extra measure of cruelty, by the way. Didn't have to happen. In scourging someone, they would beat them with a whip that was, that was so cruel and so merciless that it would, it would just tear your, your flesh to pieces. And they did that first, just to add an extra measure of cruelty to what they were doing to Jesus. And then they led him away to be crucified. Let me tell you something about Pilate. He had the question right, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And I wanna tell you why he failed. He failed to answer the question well because in the first place he lacked the courage of his convictions. He knew what was right. He knew Jesus was innocent and he would not do what he knew needed to be done. Not only did he lack the courage of his convictions, but he tried to force others to make the decision for him. Life would be so much easier if somebody else made my decisions. Life would be so much easier if somebody else would just come into my life and tell me, John, you need to do this and not do that. But that's not the way life works. I'm responsible. You're responsible. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's not a question that your spouse can answer. That's not a question that the elders or the preacher can answer for you. That's not a question that your parents can answer for you. You must make the decision. What will I do with Jesus? You can't let others make that decision for you. Pilate tried. Why did Pilate fail? Because at the end, he finally refused to decide. But I'll tell you this, even refusing to decide is in itself a decision because this is a binary choice. Either you submit to Jesus and you follow him and you are loyal to him or you reject him and you deny him. There is no door number three. It's binary. One way or the other, what will you do with Jesus? And to make no decision is to choose to reject him. It's the easy way but it's not the right way. What's right is rarely easy. And what is easy is rarely right. When you look at what happened at the trial of Jesus and you look at what Pilate faced, 
Don't just read this and say, well, isn't it terrible what they did to Jesus? You need to see yourself in this passage. You need to understand the only innocent person in all of this is him. And you and me and everybody else, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 23. And the question that confronts every single one of us right now this morning is, what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? If you're ready to obey the gospel this morning, to come to him and to receive the mercy and the forgiveness that only he offers, repent of your sin, confess his name, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we can help you do that this morning, make your way down the aisles. Together we stand and as we sing.